Welcome to None Dare Call It Ordinary, a podcast that digs into the unusual, unorthodox, and downright unsettling beliefs found at the depths of the internet and the heights of paranoia. I'm your host, Dylan, and with me is the tactical Brent. All right. What made you choose tactical today? I like that one. When I think of Brent, the first thing I think of are those tactical bath wipes that Alex Jones <laughs> sells or used to sell. And so I figured who who's using those wipes? It's definitely Brent. So, you know, you are a tactical. Thank you. Brent. You're always prepared. Yes. Yeah. And huge Alex Jones fan. So and if, of course, what is that? A hundred patrons. We got to skip for us. If we get that. <laughs> yeah. We get to the hundred mark. I got to watch every fucking thing that guy's ever done. So that's every that's Alex Jones documentary that we have not yet covered. I will and lose my brain covered. A couple of them during our Alex Jones series. So you're going to have a lot of work ahead of you. And that's going to be real entertaining. I'll just start going to have to keep a close watch on you (laughs) to make sure you don't (laughs) radicalize yourself. Because that's the last thing we need right now is that that would suck. And speaking of patrons, we want to announce two new patrons this week. We have Alice Cowell. And Chris Wilson, thank you so much for joining the None Dare Call It Ordinary family because it's a family now and there's a lot of obligations there. So I hope you're prepared (laughs) to deal with all that. (laughs) And you can chat with your fellow patrons and your fellow listeners and us on our Discord server if you head over to discord.nundarecallitordinary.com. And that is also where you'll find any images related to today's episode In particular. Yeah. And actually, I was going to say we're recording this on Easter Sunday. So I think this is the perfect topic for Easter. I know that much. Um, Yeah. I mean, it's perfectly aligned. Perfect for Easter. The topic today is USOs or unidentified submerged objects. The Unidentified objects in the sky, the UFOs, everybody talks about that. That's boring. We want to go underwater to find out the mysteries that lie at the deep. Right. And we don't want to be we don't want it to be confused with the actual the actual USO, like the shows like put on for the troops. No, no, no. Okay. different. No, Bob Hope. Bob Hope does not make one appearance. (laughs) It's like Bob on this episode. Yeah. Bob Hope in some sort of like underwater gear would be interesting. Is that a man in scuba gear and a golf club? Man, I hope I hope everyone is enjoying these Bob Hope yes, jokes. Very up to date. I don't know why I can make them. To be honest, I definitely <laughs> not of my time, not of my time. But I guess I'm I'm older. I'm older than my years, as they say. Okay, our first USO adventure begins with someone named Maxwell calling the radio show Fade to Black on the Dark Matter Radio Network to share a bizarre Google Earth image he had uncovered, and sadly. This is the only USO we'll be covering today that was correctly discovered. Oh. All USOs should be found via Google Earth image. Yeah. It's the only proper way to do it. <laughs> the host of Fade to Black, Jimmy Church, was intrigued. And instead of relying on shoddy photographs, opted to hire a graphic designer to make as many drawings of the object as he could. Oh, w- wait a minute. Oh my, oh, my God. Is this the resurgence of Betty Luca, the perfect artist from our How to Build a UFO series? Could it be? I Is wish she now a graphic if designer? he had Betty Luca, he should have Betty Luca on speed dial. We should. Because she would get to the bottom of this. Yeah. Really, all, all of these USOs we're going to talk about, she would have been able to crack the, crack the case. Yeah. Unfortunately, Betty Luca was not available. I don't think she's alive anymore. Oh. Uh, so yeah, not available, uh, to, uh, to make the perfect betrayal exactly. of this USO. 
This is what Jimmy Church uh, had to say about what he instructed this graphic designer to do. Quote, I needed him to find a way to get it under and above the water. My first impression was that it was Greek. It looked artificial and didn't look natural. It just stands out that it has to be some type of roof. It's not unlike a dome stadium or a covered indoor racetrack or an Olympic arena. It's got that feel to it. <laughs> it looks like a perfect oval man-made structure sitting on a construction site. And who better, who better to know the ins and outs of Greek architecture than a dude named Jimmy Church? Oh, man. Also, the only thing more reliable than drawings of something extraordinary is getting the feels for something extraordinary. That oh, is, yeah. you always want to go with that. I mean, yeah, I didn't know Olympic Arena had a feel to it because there's so many different. I don't know. Kinds, I get it every time. The right feel. Every time I drive on the 15, um, because I live in Vegas, they're building the new Raider Stadium. I get that feel. Oh, get you that get that feel. feel? Of how annoying it's going to be in a little bit driving around in Vegas. Can't wait on Sundays. Oh, suck. man. We got all the sports <laughs> all at once in Las Vegas. Yeah. And. We are the infrastructure can't cope. No. Now, this story, I should point out, comes from our primary sources, an article by the Huffington Post. And at this point, they made the responsible decision to ask geologists what their opinion of the dome was. But they still made an unnecessary statement about this, uh, you know, this Olympic arena theory, quote, as unusual as this anomaly appears, is alien UFO based the only realistic explanation for it? <laughs> yes, because apparently the Huffington Post thinks that this alien UFO base theory is a realistic explanation. That's the implication here. I'm actually just kind of disappointed they didn't consult dome specialist Stephen King. Actually, that would have been. Yeah, he does know a lot about domes. Yeah, it wasn't a clear dome. I think oh, that's okay. part of the problem. Yeah, that's a good point. Because uh, yep. I feel that Not is okay. his particular expertise, the clear dome. Exactly. David Schwartz from the U.S. Geological Survey suggests that there is another realistic explanation somehow. <laughs> Quote, oh, come on. There's no flag under the water that says, I'm the entrance to an alien base. <laughs> There's nothing unnatural looking about it. It's just showing some sort of variation in the offshore coastal morphology. Oh, brother. Yeah, well, too bad David Schwartz got his Ph.D. I'm looking it up here in Olympic Stadium Dome Petrology. Mm, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. He spent his career studying the geology of racetracks and stadiums. So, you know, I just don't think he's a reliable source. We need someone with at yes. least like a master's in UFOlogy. Someone like that. Yeah, capital U, UFOlogy. Yes. You know, don't, don't accept anything less than yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. Now, as hard as this may be to believe, it turns out that this structure was not discovered by a listener to a local coast-to-coast -coast wannabe radio station. Hmm. The underwater dome is mentioned in a 2009 article published in the Geological Society of, Amer of America Special Papers Journal, referring to it as the Sycamore Knoll. Ah, Sycamore Knoll. Yes, yes. In autumn, this knoll offers wonderful fresh underwater apple butter and various fresh jams. So that's Ooh, kind of a nice. That is a very, uh, very homey. Uh, lots of Instagram opportunities. Oh, yeah. And it's actually, it's not underwater apple butter. It's underwater crab apple butter. Oh. <laughs> they, offer, uh, they also offer not hay rides. They offer seaweed rides you can go on. This ooh. is different. Another. Uh, uh, we could go thing. on forever talking about this. <laughs> and it's also uh, going to be the site of the next presidential assassination. Oh. You know, they love using a knoll. Oh, shit. The watery knoll. Yeah, it took a turn there. It might seem homey at first, but some shit is about to go down. There'll be, you know, there'll be a third harpooner somewhere like hidden back and to the left, back and to the left is how the harpoon went. The magical harpoon theory. But, you know, besides 
crab apple butter and presidential assassinations, maybe this mm -hmm. isn't, as the Huffington Post suggests, the final <laughs> truth. Oh. Because okay. for whatever reason, they thought it was necessary to bring in the independent Egyptologist, their words, John Anthony West, who, along with Robert Shoke, has argued that the Great Sphinx is actually thousands of years older than thought by those Ivy League fancy schmancy Egyptologists. <laughs> and believe it or not, we're going to hear more from both West and Robert Shook later in this episode, because I think regulation state, you have to have at least one independent Egyptologist per USO. You got to mm, have yeah. one to cover it. And let's just be honest, you know, a rogue archaeologist of any stripe is worth his or her weight in incorrectly dated artifacts. You really need at least one in any expedition, I think. Yeah, they'll find the artifacts and they will be wildly wrong yes. about when they wildly off on the dates. That's that's great. But, you know, hey, you can still sell them. That's fine. That's right. West has gone on record also for believing in those other unidentified objects, uh, UFOs, quote, okay. I'm convinced that UFOs are a reality. There's too much evidence out there. Beyond that, we don't know anything. We don't know who they are, why they're here, or how much of this stuff is our own government. Okay, I can get behind this. Yes, there's too much evidence that there are weird things in the sky sometimes. Got it. Yes, sometimes things in the sky are unidentified. I mean, I feel... <laughs> I can get on board I with I agree. This. There's just too much evidence to deny that, <laughs> that claim. So we can imagine what wacky story he's going to tell about the Malibu <laughs> Dome. Well, you know what? You might be surprised in this instance. Quote... Okay. My first reaction, knowing that it was 2,000 feet under the water, was that under no circumstances could it, in fact, be artificial man-made. Mm -hmm. And I have enough experience looking at geology and distinguishing between what could perhaps be artificial, and then there's sort of a gray area in between. As far as I'm concerned, there is no gray area. It doesn't look at all man-made. It has mm -hmm. what looks like pillars there, but they're unevenly spaced, and then, to the right, you see other seemingly pillars still attached, actually, to the bedrock in the process of forming. Okay. And actually, you wouldn't be surprised at all because West has quite a tamped-down belief about UFOs that we were just joking about. Quote, A point beyond that is that anything that isn't explained or that can't be explained by current scientific methods, automatically, it's aliens. Okay. It's the explanation of last resort, and I just don't buy that. So maybe we need to check our assumptions about independent Egyptologist UFO believers at the door. Yeah, you know, let's just not get independent Egyptologists UFO believers confused with ancient alien television hosts. Worlds apart, worlds apart. Now, West is still intrigued about getting photographic evidence of just what this dome is, but suspects that, quote, they're not going to find the lost treasures of Atlantis. Yeah, that would be silly. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah exactly. Clearly, uh, they're going to find the lost treasures of Lemuria. Okay, that's more. a different thing. So, yes. I mean, that's obvious. So where does this all leave us? Radio host Jimmy Church thinks it's an alien base or Atlantis or a Greek, what have you. A geologist thinks it's just a natural rock formation. And an independent Egyptologist prone to wacky Sphinx theories also thinks it's not a man-made structure. Okay. The Huffington Post takes all of this and makes a very bizarre conclusion, <laughs> quote, in the end, we're left with a variety of theories to explain the Malibu anomaly, a.k.a. Sycamore Knoll. Will the UFO alien underwater base proponents be eventually proven right, leaving geologists in the deep blue dust, scratching their heads and wondering how they got it wrong? The official <laughs> none dare call it ordinary position is probably not. No, probably not. <laughs> this is highly unlikely. 
I actually think the problem yeah. is, you know, just as we've learned in our expanding Earth theory, geologists are just too busy being obsessed with subduction. Mm. They need to focus more attention on alien stadiums. If I think, I, but I fully, I fully agree. That's way more. I just hope they're Who cares about subduction. Mm-hmm. Subtract subduction. That's what I say. Yeah. Now let's move on to the Baltic Sea anomaly. All right. Finally, in the summer of 2011. The Ocean X team went searching for buried treasure in the Baltic Sea. Who is the Ocean X team? Well, apparently they specialize in, quote, antique high-end alcoholic beverages and historic artifacts. Oh, man, I just assumed Ocean X was the prequel to Ocean's Eleven. So No, sadly, George Clooney and Brad Pitt were not involved at all in this story. Well, you know, Ocean's Eleven was about a bunch of men pulling off an impossible heist. I think it was Ocean's Eight was a bunch of women pulling off an impossible heist. And it only stands a reason that Ocean's 10 or X is about a bunch of aliens pulling off an impossible heist. You know? I, that makes Perfect. sense. I think that movie really should be called Ocean Zeta. Ooh, I think that yeah. has a better ring to that it. That is better. If you got aliens involved. In 1992, Ocean X found a B-17 bomber in the waters east of Sweden. And in 1997, they found 2,400 bottles of champagne from 1907. So that was quite the find. But in the summer of 2011... They were also hoping to find more buried goodies, but instead found something else entirely. Searching the Baltic Sea floor with their sonar equipment, they found a circular object with a diameter of 200 feet or two football fields for all the sports fans out there. Oh, man. Thanks so much. You know, since since watching sports now just entails, you know, watching athletes play video games on TV. You know, these brief sports references are so important right now, Dylan. Thank you so much. You're so welcome. <laughs> is that what people are doing now? Yes, that's an actual the, uh, thing. athletes playing video games. Yeah, just go to ESPN.com and it's just like, what are we looking at at this point? Are they playing sports games? That's yeah. really what's important. Yes, yeah, it's, it's like okay. athletes playing their own guy in a basketball game. It's very, it's very inception. See, this is, yeah, this is where like the Oculus Rift technology mm-hmm. is going to really come into its own where you can just play a virtual game of basketball. <laughs> And then we never, we don't even have to know about any of these uh, pandemics going on. We can just never leave our houses and enjoy ourselves. According to Ocean X's interpretation, the object also had non-natural formations, including stairs and ramps. And in all honesty, if you look at the one sonar image they have, it does kind of look like the Millennium Falcon. It really does. (laughs) And Peter Lindbergh, head of the Ocean X team, adds more speculation, quote, It has these very strange stair formations, and if it is constructed, it must be constructed tens of thousands of years ago before the Ice Age. If this is Atlantis, that would be quite amazing. And i that's true. And if Detroit was Atlantis, that would also be quite amazing. So (laughs) let's not... Let's not be uh, stingy when it comes to declarations of amazingness. I I also think spread around. Yeah. One thing we can mark for certain is that there were were such things as wheelchairs back then because of the ramps. They were able to accommodate the handicap. It's very nice. Yeah. And they had they had their own uh, Disabilities Act. They were very ahead of their time. Oh, yeah. I mean, they were ahead of their time by several thousand years, actually. Or maybe the Atlanteans just were wheeled. Oh, like centaurs yeah. but with wheels. Yeah, that maybe that could also that be true. Could be true. I mean, that would be amazing. That would. That be. seems to be what we're <laughs> our primary kind of source of knowledge is what is amazing. But let's not like hold on, hold on though. I mean, you know, this is all fun. You know, were they were Atlanteans made with wheels? 
did they have an Atlantean Disabilities Act? Yes, yes, yes. Uh, is this actually the Millennium Falcon? Let's not get ahead of ourselves. Right. Because after all, the only evidence we have of this thing is a blurry sonar image. That's it. Ooh, the blurrier the, the better, had, though. We learned that's, this. You know. We did learn that, but right. see, this isn't Betty Luca blurry. That's okay. the problem. This is oh, a machine okay. making a blurry image. So I think in that case, it's not as impressive. The Ocean X team did return the next year in 2012 to get better evidence, but sadly they couldn't because of, quote, mysterious electrical interference. Oh my God. And I'm not sure what's more likely here, that they just made this up or some doofus on the boat broke the sonar equipment and Lindbergh just ran with it. Also, you know, I have to say, I hope they went before the end of the world on December 21st, 2012, or none of this mattered. You know, if they... If they had any foresight at all, they could have just wrapped all this up with the 2012 stuff. And they didn't. (laughs) And that's, you know, missed opportunity. The premier academic journal, the Daily Mail, picked up the story in June of 2012. But they weren't going to let a lack of photographic evidence stop them from selling newspapers. Good, good, good. In an update in September 2012, the Daily Mail included an illustration by Vaghawk from DeviantArt. Because you're not really a journalist unless you include artistic interpretations of blurry photographs. This illustration, along with a lot of other admittedly really cool artwork, began to circulate with the story, many thinking the illustrations were actually photographs or at least drawings based on photographs or some kind of visual evidence. Mm. And it didn't help matters that Lindbergh commented on one illustration that it was, quote, the closest depiction so far of the object. It's never, again, it's never a good sign when the best visual evidence you have of something is a drawing. It's never good. (laughs) Well, tell that to Paul Potter then. Yeah, that's true. But, you know, but Paul Potter also, he had the, you know, the regressions, you know, Betty Luca underwent the hypnotic regressions to get out the, the repressed memories. So I think that's a good point. You know, that's a little different. A lot more. But the Ocean X team actually did have more than just a single sonar image. They also had samples of the object itself. Oh, damn. And they gave these samples to uh, Brent. No, not Brent. Oh, Um, they gave these (laughs) samples to Volker Bruckhart associate professor of geology at Stockholm University. And his findings, as quoted by Swedish tabloids, according to Live Science, (laughs) appear to confirm Lindbergh's claims, quote, I was surprised when I researched the material. I found a great black stone that could be volcanic rock. My hypothesis is that this object, this structure, was formed during the Ice Age many thousands of years ago. Finally, finally, we have a case where Swedish science and Swedish tabloids get to work Together. Yes. That's the kind of unity yes. we need. Right also, now. like, it was a great Blackstone. But Live Science wasn't quite so sure if Professor Bruckert accepted all the wild speculations mm. pumped out by the Ocean X team and tabloids. Okay. So they did something unheard of. They sent him an email. Oh, my gosh. And his response was revealing, quote, What has been generously ignored by the Ocean X team is that most of the samples they have brought up from the sea bottom are granites and gneisses and sandstones. And, you know, fine, like whatever. You know, what? I don't care about that. I care about that weird volcanic rock that they also gave to you. Turns out um, that might also have a mundane explanation. (laughs) Quote, because the whole northern Baltic region is so heavily influenced by glacial thawing processes, both the feature and the rock samples are likely to have formed in connection with glacial and post-glacial processes. Possibly these rocks were transported there by glaciers. Now, 
I'm sure, Brent, I'm sure you and all of our listeners have heard of punk and post-punk. Oh, yeah. But what about glacial and post-glacial? <laughs> Are you getting down with those jams? I'm loving the jams. I actually just look forward to global warming giving us the inevitable metal-as-fuck post-glacial phase where yeah. we have no more ice. That'd be great. Although the one sad thing uh, for, I think, metal is that Norway isn't going to be quite as cold anymore. And I feel true. that's what's that's given them true. a lot of their metal power. Yeah, it'd be more of a reggae hub back then. Sadly, expert opinion also doubts the value of the original sonar image itself. According to Dan Fornari, marine geologist at the Woods Hole Oceanographic Institution in Massachusetts, quote, the sonar image has numerous artifacts in it that make it difficult to interpret, and I would not place too much confidence in any interpretation until a better processing is done and the details of the type of sonar and particulars are provided. I'm saying the data are lacking in resolution, detail, and quantification. Well. I got to say, frankly, I don't trust this guy. He's part of an oceanographic institution in the woods. Oh, and not only that, they're in a hole in the woods. So what do they know about water? Yeah, the, the only saving grace is maybe it's driftwood, I guess. Then oh. it would be then, then it would be OK. But yeah, other than that, you may be right. You know, that's fair, though, Brent. I, I didn't consider yeah. it's drift. <laughs> it's the driftwood hole full of holes. Oceanographic yeah. Institute. You know, maybe that's what's going on here. Lindbergh insists that OceanX will return and investigate the glacial deposit, UFO, Atlantis, whatever, in the future. But as can be expected, funding has not been forthcoming, sadly. Oh. Not, though, because they think it would be a waste of time to investigate a glacial deposit, but because the object, quote, might be something very unexplainable and thus not a very useful thing to discover, apparently. That's what's <laughs> turning the, the any potential uh, investors Away from this project, like we we not we might not be able to explain this because if there's one thing I know, uncovering something totally unique and totally unexplained that totally changes the face of human knowledge, never profitable. No one ever makes money off that. That is true. And also, the one thing I know is that investigating glacial deposits is not a waste of time. True. True. Just want to make sure all the glaciologists listening don't just immediately shut off this episode. Yeah. Because there are a lot of them. So because he hasn't been able to get kind of an official investment, Lindbergh suggests that all of us help to fund his expedition by buying official OceanX brand clothing from their website. Yeah, I mean, we personally prefer you fund our expedition into the unusual and unorthodox downright unsettling beliefs found at the depths of the Internet and the heights of paranoia by buying our merch at merch.nutticodordinary.com. Yeah, that's definitely that advertisement right in the middle of our definitely episode, a better use of our time. And also let's <laughs> so we've had a few like it's always good to, when you have goals to have some, you know, home run goals. Mm -hmm. And so I put it to you. I put this to you. If we reach 5000 patrons. We will investigate the Baltic Sea anomaly. I'm putting that out there right now. We will charter a boat. We'll go out there. We'll do what we got to do. And we will figure out what's down there. God damn it. That's, That's our right. promise. We're yeah. going to do it. We don't need you to buy our t-shirts. We want you to buy our t-shirts. <laughs> but independent of whether you buy a t-shirt or a giant wall tapestry, 5,000 patrons, yes. we will investigate the Baltic Sea anomaly. That's my promise to you. And with that, we have one more USO the Yonaguni Monument. Ooh. Instead of being discovered by the ultimate wine snobs or by some nerd with Google Earth, <laughs> the Yonaguni Monument was discovered by the pure desire to get a good look at hammerhead sharks. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I know that desire all too well. Hammerhead sharks are the main attraction of Yonaguni, an island to the southwest of Japan. And it's what Hiachiro Arataki, 
director of the Yonaguni Cho Tourism Association, was interested in seeing one day in 1986. While it's unknown if he did find any hammerheads, he did find something more interesting. A bizarre underwater structure made of flat levels and ramps. Wow. So the first hammerhead shark sports stadium? You wow. know, actually, that might be the best explanation of all <laughs> uh, the explanations we're going to hear today. So definitely write that up. And unlike the Baltic Sea anomaly, you can actually go look at this thing and okay. find photographs of it online. Of course, that doesn't stop people from making illustrations <laughs> that they pass off as an accurate representation, Great. regardless of if they That's are helpful. or not. But you can still see the actual thing online. Yeah. You know, personally, some of my favorite abstract art is Yonaguni monument based abstract art. Ooh. It's just it's so sick. Ooh. Yeah. And you know what? Listeners, send us your Yonaguni monument based abstract yeah. art. You know what? Send us any of your USO arts uh, and send it over to uh, <laughs> yeah, Discord. Awesome. That's probably the best place to reach us. Uh, Discord.nundarecalledordinary.com. After the discovery of the Yonaguni Monument, it caught the attention of Masaki Kimura at the University of the Ryukus. He became one of the big boosters of the more esoteric interpretations of the monument. Kimura thought the structure was built in 8000 BC when it would have been above water. Built by who? None other than the inhabitants of the lost continent of Mu. Oh, one of my favorite lost continents. It's yeah, there's it's one of the more, you know, it's the it's the hipster lost continent, <laughs> I feel. And in case you're not familiar, Mu is the name given for a supposedly lost continent between Africa and India. It was initially proposed to explain how the same lemurs could be found both in India and in Africa which we've since learned was ex is explained by continental drift. Oh but boy. <laughs> when this pr was proposed, they didn't know about continental drift. Mm -hmm. Since then, Lemuria, or Mu, has gone the way of Atlantis with, you know, people building all sorts of crazy ideas on top of that. So by that, you mean gone the way of fact and evidence, pure facts. Yeah, that, yeah, that's exactly what I meant. In the rough outlines of the underwater whatever it is, <laughs> Kimura was able to identify, quote, a pyramid, castles, roads, monuments, and... A stadium. All right. So every USO <laughs> must either be a stadium, have a stadium, or be able to land in a stadium. I think that's, those are the three criteria. You know, I got to admit, I didn't see this being a, um, you know, sports heavy podcast episode. So that's kind of nice. Yeah. This <laughs> did not see that. It was all over the place. <laughs> and castles. Strangely. And castles. Yeah. You got to have both. But recently, Kimura has changed his mind about who built the Yonaguni Monument. In a 2010 book, Yamatai Koku wa Okinawa Data, translated as Yamatai was Okinawa, he argues that it was built by the inhabitants of Yamatai, a country located somewhere in current-day Japan between 300 BCE and 300 CE. And here's a, here's a fun fact. So I've never heard of, of Yamatai. If you go to the Wikipedia page on Yamatai, you'll see that there's controversy over where exactly it was located. There's all sorts of ancient written sources about this place, but no one's 100% sure where it is. Mm -hmm. And they do mention that some people offer, quote, fanciful ideas about where it's located. And the very first one they mention is Okinawa, <laughs> which is Kimura's theory about where it was located. <laughs> fanciful. Fanciful. But Kimura wasn't the only person with bad ideas interested in the Yonaguni <laughs> monument. Yasuo Watanabe, a Japanese businessman, was also interested and chartered an expedition that included pseudo-archaeologist Graham Hancock 
as well as our independent Egyptologist friends, John Anthony West and Robert Choke. So holy shit, it's like the Justice League or Avengers of make-believe archaeologists. Yeah, it's the uh, the Unjustified League. I love it. So also, you know, Graham Hancock, I have to say, let's just be honest what he really is. He's a Watanabe wannabe. Let's just, I mean, <laughs> he, he, he really is. He uh, just is. God, God, God. That is, that is a deep, deep burn. <laughs> deep cut, deep cut. Now, Robert Choke's primary fringe theory is one that we touched on a little bit, but let's go a little bit deeper into it. He thinks that the first civilization on Earth died out about 12,000 years ago, which would be several thousand years before contemporary dates. Their civilization was ended the same way the Ice Age was ended, catastrophic solar outbursts. Amongst their achievements that survived to this day is the Sphinx, which all the loser Egyptologists would say was built around 2500 BCE. But, you know, what do they know? Yeah, they're they're too dependent on big Sphinx, big pyramids. It's it's, it's, it's a signal. It's terrible. So with such a pedigree, we can imagine what Shook thought of the Yonaguni Monument. Well, actually, again, you can't. He thought it was formed through natural processes. Specifically, he noticed that the sandstones, quote, contain numerous well-defined parallel bedding planes along which the layers easily separate. The rocks of this group are also crisscrossed by numerous sets of parallel, vertically oriented joints in the rock. These joints are natural, parallel fractures by which the rectangular formations seen in the area likely formed. Yonaguni lies in an earthquake-prone region. Such earthquakes tend to fracture the rocks in a regular manner. And West, uh, his uh, Egyptologist buddy, came to the same conclusion. So that what I'm gathering here is that independent Egyptologists are perhaps the most rational on the fringe spectrum. Yeah, that's what I'm noticing, too. They're like a step above ancient alien Egyptologists or something. Oh, I mean, yeah, I think there's no comparison. No comparison. Yeah. But another Watanabe participant, that Watanabe wannabe Graham Hancock, (laughs) agreed with Kimura that the monument was man-made. After all, if the monument was formed purely by natural processes, why is it so smooth? Shouldn't there be a bunch of rock debris everywhere? Yeah, no kidding. If I learned anything from our Expanding Earth episode, the only thing worse than subduction is gradual erosion. This is just too outlandish to believe. You mean you mean these rocks were smooth due to millions of years of weathering? No fucking way. No, it's no. got to be aliens from another planet. Let's just get real. It's yes. it's got to be, or maybe maybe not. So. Stupid. So there's kind yeah. of two things to say here. One is that if you look at the actual photographs of the of the monument, it's not really smooth at all. <laughs> oh, there's <laughs> it's that. It's <laughs> relatively smooth, but if it's it's kind of like on the ancient aliens documentaries mm-hmm. where they'll be like this this rock has a perfect 90 degree <laughs> angle and then he measures it and it's like obviously not perfectly 90 degrees. Like he's like moving the ruler. <laughs> And so you could tell that there's a gap. So it's like, okay, well, oh, you know, first we have to agree on the actual basic geometrical facts about what we're talking about. Yeah, I think before you take any measurements, if you're you know, an ancient alien, independent, UFOologist, archaeologist, whatever, you really need to take LSD to study your nerves before you measure. You just got to do it, measure it. Yeah, you can't be well. jiggling your ruler and yeah, kind and of the 90 degrees revealing great. how dumb you are <laughs> to everybody watching that video or at least cut it. Yeah. At least cut it from the yes, final edit. That would be the first thing. Just get an editor, really. Just buy it. Buy one. <laughs> you got the money. Yeah. But Shook also responds that in this area, there's a lot of strong water currents. Mm-hmm. So no duh, there's no debris. It's being washed away <laughs> <laughs> by the water. And that sure. also means we're going to wash away our episode <laughs> because we are done with our episode 
on unidentified submerged objects. So Brent, what did you learn in today's episode? What most appealed to you? Well, I, I do. I was looking at these images beforehand before we recorded. And, and you're right. That one does really look like the Millennium Falcon. <laughs> it is, it is strange. <laughs> yeah, that's um, great. But yeah, I mean, I, I obviously, you know, these are probably I, I'm going to go ahead and side with the actual um, geologists and people that know what they're talking about and say that they're naturally formed. I know. Look at me. But to be honest with you, I, I really want to know. I don't know if these are maybe they are alien stadiums, you know, like I'm just wondering, like, how, how much are tickets? Like, where's their merch at? If we, it was, it would be amazing. What are I mean, they that's playing? That's definitely true. That's what we really need to find out. What are these alien teams that we don't understand? Yeah, what sports are the aliens playing? Yeah. That's what I want to know. Exactly. And can we get that beamed into ESPN for the time <laughs> being? That would be a really nice, uh, nice bit of charity for them. Yeah. How about you? What did you enjoy the most? The main thing about this is that they're talking, you know, all these folks are like identifying features and stairs and stuff. And like, if you look at the images, the Yonaguni monument foremost, mm -hmm. where you look at like, oh, look at all these ramps and steps, but they don't make any sense. They're not things that any like normal person would build because they like they're stairs that don't go anywhere. <laughs> and the Yonaguni <laughs> monument looks like it's solid, like it's a solid hunk of rock. So did they just live on top of it? Like they didn't burrow inside of it? Maybe Did they build some... houses on top of it. Like it doesn't make they identify these features, but they don't actually make sense like where yeah. they're placed. And so it seems like a big con game, you know, the whole way through. And they're real cool to look at, uh, you know, so I will give them that. And on that note, we are done with our episode on unidentified submerged objects. <laughs> and we are <laughs> done. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this episode of None Dare Call It Ordinary. If you would also like to hear our weekly bonus episodes, just become a $5 a month patron over at patreon.com slash none dare call it ordinary. That is also where you'll find any blog posts, pictures, and news updates to go along with our regular series. And you don't even have to be a patron to get access to all that fun stuff. You can also reach us by email at none dare call it ordinary at gmail.com. Lastly, we ask for you to please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever your podcasts are served.